From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where Michelle discusses the issues of the day with The Conversation's politics team. Hi, my name's Amanda Dunn. I'm the Politics and Society Editor for The Conversation, and I'm speaking with Michelle Grattan. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Amanda. Michelle, the big story for the past 24 hours has been Victoria's decision to cancel the Commonwealth Games that were to be held here in 2026. Now, there's obviously a lot of different viewpoints about this, but it's kind of a strange story in the sense that the government says the costs had blown out too far to $6 billion, which was twice what they had originally thought it would cost. And apparently not many countries actually want to take on the Commonwealth Games anymore because of precisely this reason, that it just costs too much. What's your reading of all of this and particularly how the Andrews government has handled it? I think it's been a total fiasco. The government made the decision to stage the Games before the last state election. It was obviously driven substantially by electoral considerations because uh, its plan was to have it over a number of regional centres, which was going to be expensive and, and really didn't look very sustainable. Now it's said, as you mentioned, that the cost has escalated, yet this seems to be uh, by a huge amount and very late in the piece and that escalations contested by the games authorities anyway. So the cancellation has had the effect, I think, of compromising Victoria's and Australia's reputation in terms of sporting events, its credibility for the future. It's sort of a soft case, if you like, of uh, sovereign risk. And what all this means is that Victoria comes out of this looking badly. I'm not saying the Games was worth the money. What I am saying is that Victoria should never have gone down this path in the first place. And this argument that really it doesn't matter because the Commonwealth is old hat tied to the monarchy and so on, I think is a total red herring. Whether the Commonwealth Games should go ahead as an institution in the future is an entirely separate question from this debacle. Yes, it's really about the spending of public money, isn't it? Yes, it is. But the government knew that the games was going to be uh, were going to be expensive. They knew that the expense could blow out. And as I say, I think that walking down that path was uh, driven by short-term considerations, and the journey should never have been started. And once the journey stopped, then it's a very bad look. All right, Michelle, and yesterday we also got a look at the formal pamphlets for the Yes and No case, which was put out by the Australian Electoral Commission. Now, the Yes case seems to have relied on high profile, particularly Indigenous people with expertise in various areas, while the No campaign has relied on 10 facts against the voice to Parliament. And it's worth bearing in mind here that these pieces are not fact checked. So basically, the campaigns can put whatever they want to on the pamphlets. Bearing that in mind, how compellingly do you think each side has put their case? Look, I don't think that these pamphlets really told us anything new. And in terms of fact checking, a lot of its opinion and predictions that We won't know until a long time down the track if the voice gets up. It does take us to the next stage. It did uh, provide the opportunity for an intense uh, discussion about 
these points that have been out there in the marketplace for a while. But I think what was uh, perhaps even more significant in real terms during the week was that the Prime Minister said he wouldn't be uh, announcing the date for the referendum when he attends the Gama Festival next month. He said he thought Australians wanted a fairly short and uh, sharp referendum campaign and uh, so the announcement would be uh, some time away. The speculation has been that the referendum will be held in October but the Prime Minister continues to put the emphasis on the final quarter of the year, not uh, tying himself down. The other thing that happened this week that was also important is that we saw yet another poll in news poll which showed that uh, the yes case has a a real uphill battle and that support was soft in that poll among regional voters and uh, among women in particular. The dip in the women's vote was surprising I think and some people say that that might be a, a bit of an outlier poll in that regard. All right, Michelle, and on to another matter. Labor MP Andrew Lee gave a speech today in which he takes aim at Labor's somewhat notorious factions. Now, he himself is one of the few people who is not a member of either the left or the right. What did he have to say? Basically, he said that the factions, uh, while they had some things going for them, just had too much of a stranglehold on the Labor Party, that uh, this suppressed uh, ideological debate, which was once actually much more lively between the factions, but but now it's been sort of ironed out, that uh, it did make candidate selection more problematic in, in some cases, and essentially that it undermined democracy within the Labor Party and uh, by extension uh, more generally. I think he made some solid points but the thing about the factional system is that really most people in Labor, certainly in the government, find that uh, it serves them quite well and so there's not uh, really any move to to loosen it. I think that uh, one interesting thing at the uh, National Conference of Labor which will be held in Brisbane next month will be how the factions perform. The left is the largest single faction at that conference and out of uh, just over 400 delegates only about 20 are non-factional people not aligned with either the the left or the right. Of course, the the factions do have uh, subgroups within them, but uh, in general, the the two major blocks uh, really do have this uh, enormous grip now on the Labour Party. In general, we can describe uh, the Labour Party these days as comprising two giant factional empires. All right, Michelle, terrific to talk with you as always. Thanks very much. Thanks, Amanda. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevear. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.